Chapter forty of Hands of Iceland by Victor Hugo. Translated by Abby Langdon Alger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sonia. Chapter forty. Let him who will burn beneath these smouldering fires. Brantome. Open the window, daughter. Those panes are very dirty, and I would fain see the day. See the day, father. It will soon be night. The sun still lies on the hills along the fjord. I long to breathe the free air through my prison bars. The sky is so clear. Father, a storm is at hand. A storm, Ethel? Where do you see it? It is because the sky is clear, father, that I foresee a storm. The old man looked at his daughter in surprise. <laughs> Had I reasoned thus in my youth, I should not be here. Then he added in a firmer tone, What you say is correct, but it is not a common inference for one of your age. I do not understand why your youthful reasoning should be so like my aged experience. Ethel's eyes fell as if she were troubled by this serious and simple remark. She clasped her hands sadly, and a deep sigh heaved her breast. <sighs> Daughter, said the aged prisoner, for some days you have looked pale, as if life had never warmed the blood in your veins. For several mornings you have approached me with red and swollen lids, with eyes that have wept and watched. I have passed several days in silence, Ethel, with no effort on your part to rouse me from my gloomy meditations on the past. You sit beside me more melancholy even than myself. And yet you are not, like your father, weighed down by the burden of a whole lifetime of empty inaction. Morning clouds vanish quickly. You are at that period of existence when you can choose in dreams a future independent of the present, be it what it may. What troubles you, my daughter? Thanks to your constant captivity, you are sheltered from all sudden calamity. What error have you committed? I cannot think that you are grieving for me. You must by this time be accustomed to my incurable misfortunes. Hope, to be sure, can no longer be the subject of my discourse, but that is no reason why I should read despair in your eyes. As he spoke these words, the prisoner's stern voice melted with paternal love. Ethel stood silently before him. All at once she turned away with an almost convulsive motion, fell upon her knees on the stone floor, and hid her face in her hands, as if to stifle the tears and sobs which burst from her. Too much woe filled full the wretched girl's heart. What had she done to that fatal stranger that she should reveal to her the secret that was eating away her very life? Alas, since she had known her ordner's true name, the poor child had not closed her eyes, nor had her soul known rest. Night brought her no alleviation, save that then she could weep freely and unseen. All was over. He was not hers, he who was hers by all her memories, by all her pangs, by all her prayers, he whose wife she had held herself to be upon the faith of her dreams. For the evening when Ordner had clasped her so tenderly in his arms was no more than a dream to her now. And in truth that sweet dream had been repeated nightly in her sleep. Was it a guilty love, which she still cherished for that absent friend, struggle against it as she might? Her Ordner was betrothed to another, and who can tell what that virginal heart endured when the strange and unknown sentiment of jealousy found entrance there like a poisonous viper? 
when she tossed for long sleepless hours upon her fevered bed picturing her ordner perhaps even then in the arms of another fairer richer nobler than herself for thought she i was mad indeed to suppose that he would brave death for me ordner is the son of a viceroy of a great lord and i am nothing but a poor prisoner nothing but the daughter of a proscribed and exiled man he has left me for he is free and left me no doubt to wed his lovely betrothed the daughter of a chancellor a minister a haughty count has my ordner deceived me then o oh god who would have thought that such a voice was capable of deceit and the wretched ethel wept and wept again and saw her ordner before her the man whom she had made the unwitting divinity of her whole being that ordner adorned with all the splendour of his rank advancing to the altar amid festal preparations and gazing upon her rival with the smile that had once been her delight however in spite of her unspeakable agony she never for an instant forgot her filial affection the weak girl made the most heroic efforts to conceal her distress from her unfortunate father for there is nothing more painful than to repress all outward signs of grief and tears unshed are far more bitter than those that flow several days had passed before the silent old man observed the change in his ethel and at his affectionate questions her long repressed grief had at last burst forth for some time he watched her emotion with a bitter smile and a shake of the head but at last he said ethel you do not live among men why do you weep he had scarcely finished these words when the sweet and noble girl rose by a great effort she checked her tears and dried her eyes with her scarf saying father forgive me it was a momentary weakness and she looked at him with an attempt to smile she went to the back of the room found the edda seated herself by her taciturn father and opened the book at random then mastering her voice she began to read but her useless task was unheeded by her and by the old man who waved his hand enough enough my daughter she closed her book ethel added schumacher do you ever think of ordner the young girl started in confusion yes he continued of that ordner who went father interrupted ethel why should we trouble ourselves about him i think as you do that he left us never to return never to return my daughter i cannot have said such a thing on the contrary i have a strange presentiment that he will come back that was not your opinion father when you spoke so distrustingly of the young man did i speak distrustfully of him yes father and i agree with you i think that he deceived us that he deceived us daughter if i judged him thus i acted like most men who condemn without proof i have received nothing but professions of devotion from this ordinal. and how do you know father that those cordial words did not hide treacherous thoughts usually men disregard misfortune and disgrace if this ordner were not attached to me he would not have visited my prison without a purpose are you sure replied ethel feebly that he had no purpose in coming here what could it be eagerly asked the old man ethel was silent it was too great an effort for her to continue to accuse her beloved ordner whom she had formerly defended against her father i am no longer count griffenfeld he resumed i am no longer lord chancellor of denmark and norway the favoured dispenser of royal bounty 
the all-powerful minister. I am a miserable prisoner of state, a proscribed man, to be shunned like one stricken with the plague. It shows courage even to mention my name without execration to the man whom I overwhelmed with honours and wealth. It shows devotion for a man to cross the threshold of this dungeon unless he be a jailer or an executioner. It shows heroism, my girl, for a man to cross it and call himself my friend. No, I will not be ungrateful like the rest of humanity. That young man merits my gratitude, were it only for letting me see a kindly face and hear a consoling voice. Ethel listened in agony to these words, which would have charmed her a few days earlier, when this ordiner was still cherished as her ordiner. The old man, after a brief pause, resumed in a solemn tone. Listen to me, my daughter, for what I have to say to you is serious. I feel that I am fading slowly. My life is ebbing. Yes, daughter, my end is at hand. Ethel interrupted him with a stifled groan. Oh, Godfather, say not so. Oh, for mercy's sake, spare your poor daughter. Alas, would you forsake me? What would become of me, alone in the world, if I were deprived of your protection? <laughs> the protection of a proscribed man, said her father, shaking his head. However, that is the very thing of which I have been thinking. Yes, your future happiness occupies me even more than my past misfortunes. Hear me, therefore, and do not interrupt me again. This ordiner does not deserve that you should judge him so severely, my daughter, and I had not hitherto thought that you felt such dislike to him. His appearance is frank and noble, which proves nothing truly, but I must say that he does not strike me as without merit. Although it is enough that he has a human soul for it to contain the seeds of every vice and every crime, there is no flame without smoke. The old man again paused, and fixing his eyes upon his daughter, added, Warned from within of approaching death, I have pondered much, Ethel, and if he return, as I hope he may, I shall make him your protector and husband. Ethel trembled and turned pale. At the very moment when her dream of happiness had fled forever, her father strove to realize it. The bitter reflection, I might have been happy, revived all the violence of her despair. For some moments she was unable to speak, lest the burning tears which filled her eyes should flow afresh. Her father waited for her answer. What? she said at last in a faint voice. Would you have chosen him for my husband, father, without knowing his birth, his family, his name? I not only chose him, my daughter, I choose him still. The old man's tone was almost imperious. Ethel sighed. I choose him for you, I say, and what is his birth to me? I do not care to know his family, since I know him. Think of it. He is the only anchor of salvation left to you. Fortunately, I believe that he does not feel the same aversion for you which you show for him. The poor girl raised her eyes to heaven. You hear me, Ethel. I repeat, what is his birth to me? He is doubtless of obscure rank, for those born in palaces are not taught to frequent prisons. Do not show such proud regret, my daughter. Do not forget that Ethel Schumacher is no longer Princess of Wallin and Countess of Tunsberg. You have fallen lower than the point from which your father rose by his own efforts. Consider yourself happy if this man accept your hand, 
be his family what it may. If he be of humble birth, so much the better, my daughter. At least your days will be sheltered from the storms which have tormented your father. Far from the envy and hatred of men, under some unknown name, you will lead a modest existence, very different from mine, for its end will be better than its beginning. Ethel fell on her knees. Oh, father, have mercy! He opened his arms to her in amazement. What do you mean, my daughter? In heaven's name, do not describe a happiness which is not for me. Ethel, sternly answered the old man, do not risk your whole life. I refuse the hand of a princess of the blood royal, a princess of Holstein Augustenburg. Do you hear that? And my pride was cruelly punished. You despise an obscure but loyal man. Tremble lest yours be as sadly chastised. Would to heaven, sighed Ethel, that he were an obscure and loyal man. The old man rose and paced the room in agitation. My daughter, said he, your poor father implores and commands you. Do not let me die uncertain as to your future. Promise me that you will accept this stranger as your husband. I will obey you always, father, but do not hope that he will return. I have weighed the probabilities, and I think from the tone in which Ordner uttered your name. <laughs> that he loves me, bitterly interrupted Ethel. Oh, no, do not believe it. The father answered coldly, I do not know whether, to use your girlish expression, he loves you, but I know that he will return. Give up that idea, father. Besides, you would not wish him for your son-in-law, if you knew who he is. Ethel, he shall be my son-in-law, be his name and rank what they may. Well, she replied, how if this young man, whom you regard as your solace, whom you consider as your daughter's support, be the son of one of your mortal foes, of the Viceroy of Norway, Count Guldenlev? Schumacher started back. Heavens, what do you say? Ordener? That Ordener? It is impossible. The look of unutterable hatred, which flashed from the old man's faded eyes, froze Ethel's trembling heart and she vainly repented the rash words which she had uttered. The blow was struck. For a few moments Schumacher stood motionless, with folded arms. His whole body quivered as if laid upon live coals. His flaming eyes started from their sockets, and his gaze, riveted to the pavement, seemed as if it would pierce the stones. At last these words issued from his livid lips in a voice as faint as that of a man who dreams. Ordener, yes. It must be so. Ordener Guldenlev, it is well. Come, Schumacher, old fool, open your arms to him. The loyal youth has come to stab you to the heart. Suddenly he stamped upon the ground and went on in tones of thunder. <sighs> so they sent their whole infamous race to insult me in my disgrace and captivity. I have already seen a Dahlefeld. I almost smiled upon a golden laugh. Monsters! Who would ever have thought that this Ordener possessed such a soul and bore such a name? Wretched me! Wretched he! Then he fell exhausted into his chair, and while his breast heaved with sighs, poor Ethel, trembling with fright, wept at his feet. 
do not weep my daughter said he in gloomy tones come oh come to my heart and he clasped her in his arms ethel knew not how to explain this caress at a moment of rage but he resumed at least girl you were more clear-sighted than your old father you were not deceived by that serpent with gentle but venomous eyes come let me thank you for the hatred which you have shown me that you feel for that contemptible ordiner she shuddered at these praises alas so ill-deserved father said she be calm promise me added schumacker that you will always retain the same feeling for the son of guldenlef swear it god forbids us to swear father swear swear girl vehemently repeated schumacker will you always retain the same feeling for ordener guldenlef ethel had scarcely strength to falter always the old man drew her to his heart it is well my daughter let me at least bequeath to you my hate if i cannot leave you the wealth and honors of which i was robbed listen they deprived your old father of rank and glory they dragged him in irons to the gallows as if to stain him with every infamy and make him endure every torment wretches oh may heaven and hell hear me and may they be cursed in this life and cursed in their posterity he was silent for a moment then embracing his poor daughter terrified by his curses but ethel my only glory and my only treasure tell me how was your instinct so much more skilful than mine how did you discover that this traitor bears one of the abhorred names inscribed upon my heart in gaul how did you penetrate his secret she was summoning all her strength to answer when the door opened a man dressed in black carrying in his hand an ebony wand and wearing about his neck a chain of unpolished steel appeared upon the threshold escorted by halberdiers also dressed in black what do you want asked the captive sharply and in astonishment the man without replying or looking at him unrolled a long parchment to which was fastened by silken threads a seal of green wax and read aloud in the name of his majesty our most gracious sovereign and lord christian the king schumacher prisoner of state in the royal fortress of munkholm and his daughter are commanded to follow the bearer of the said command schumacher repeated his question what do you want the man in black still immovable prepared to re-read the document that will do said the old man then rising he signed to the surprised and startled ethel to follow with him this dismal escort End of chapter forty